So if you have your Bibles, open them to Romans chapter 1. We're going to continue today in our study of the book of Romans. And uh, last week we talked about, uh, actually every week, we're talking about the wrath of God. Now the wrath of God, I've told you from the beginning, is one of those things people just cringe. It's, uh, oh my gosh, God's wrath. I thought God was loving and God was kind and good and this and that and and how can he have wrath how can he be angry and I told you and I want you to remember this that God's wrath is connected directly to his love he is angry because his what he loves and what he created and the people that he created in his image have been disfigured and distorted and in many ways destroyed by sin. They've certainly been enslaved by sin. And a lot of people will ask, they'll say, why did God create the world like this? He didn't create the world like this. He created a world in which there were people equipped to leave a garden, a garden that he built for them a perfect place. He equipped them and gave them the authority and the ability and the strength and everything they needed to go out and conquer the world, to bring order to the chaos, to to spread the glory of God and His image throughout the earth. And yet, we find in the story of the Bible what is uh, nothing short of a catastrophe of cosmic proportions. Now, all of us modern people, we don't really, we don't really get our head around it, but I'm going to do my best to uh, describe uh, the, the, the consequences of this catastrophe. So, last week we talked about how people, and remember, Paul is taking a a real high-altitude look at the church. He's saying this is what humanity in general is. This is what humanity looks like at the beginning of time. Then in chapter 2 and part of chapter 3, he's going to talk about what humanity looked like in covenant with God through the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, and ultimately the Jews who were the heirs of that legacy. And then in chapter 3, he's going to talk about now, the Gentile, Jewish-Gentile world. And at the end of 3, he's going to conclude all, now he's reaching back into all time and history, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And this is his point of writing the book of Romans. So we looked last week at how Mankind has disfigured God himself with idols and idolatry. Today we're going to talk about how God, uh, how mankind has distorted and, and attacked, if you will, the image of God in other human beings. And then next week I'm going to do a real quick summary uh, of all of chapter 1, and then we'll take, uh, Dawson's going to preach and, um, for a week or so, and then I'll come back and we'll pick up the rest of Romans. I felt like it was very important that we lay this foundation uh, so that the rest of the book, listen carefully, the rest of the book is read in context to what Paul is saying. It's very easy to take a scripture out of context and create a pretext 
and then you know get in your 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 envelope or in your uh, your echo chamber or in your cloud or your certain bubble and and make all your pronouncements from there but if you really want to understand scripture you have to read it in its context the whole thing and so I've printed for you uh, all of these verses here uh, from 18 um, but I'm going to start with uh, I'll start with verse 24 and just hear the word of God now verse 24 it's printed in your bulletin if you have a bible you can follow along I printed this in the New Living Translation just because the wording is a little different. And, uh, but don't worry, I've, I'll tell you where, what you need to know about the various words. Now hear God's word. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. This is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. Yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them also. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I got to tell you, this is a very, very difficult passage. It's hard for us in our uh, particular cultural moment to swallow these things, to take them in. And uh, I'll talk about this a little bit today and, and next week. Let me say something about the wrath of God. Listen carefully. This is uh, Dr. Douglas Moo. He's a fantastic New Testament uh, professor. The wrath of God is not an emotional rage, but a steadfast, absolute opposition to all that God has created that is good and to all that is evil. It is essential to the character of God. As long, listen, as long as God is God, He cannot behold with indifference that His creation is destroyed and His holy will trodden underfoot. Therefore, He meets sin 
with his mighty and annihilating reaction. You see, you cannot have the love of God if you don't have the wrath of God. Now, if you don't understand that, then that's why we're here. We're trying desperately to show uh, you here in the, the, the congregation, but also the gospel to our culture never in modern history that I can think of has culture needed to understand why God is angry. We need to know. And the reason he's angry is because what we have done to each other. And if you don't believe that, just turn the news on or listen. look at your, your uh, news feed. I mean, war in Ukraine now. We're going to kill each other in Ukraine. You name it, through the centuries of recorded time, people have been doing the most unbelievable and cruel things to one another that you can imagine. And many of you know exactly. Some of you have seen it. Some of you have had it done to you. And some of you have probably done it to others. Human wrath is motivated most of the time by self-interest. Human wrath, human anger is unrestrained, out of proportion, often unjust. It is destructive, unreasonable, and irrational. Why do you think God in his scriptures gave us the lex talionis, which is eye for eye, tooth for tooth? We read that and we say, oh, that's so terrible, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The reason God put that in there was so that we would not destroy each other down to the ground for infractions that we perpetrate against one another. The lex lex talionis, this law that God said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, was to limit the incredibly unjustified wrath of man. Somebody crosses into your property and takes your stuff, so you go kill their entire family, every man, woman, child, all their goats and all their herds and all their things, and you pull up uh, their corn and you throw it on the ground and say, there, now that's fair. You go way overboard, and that's what we do. That is human nature, driven by self-interest. But listen, this is... If you you know anything about your Bible, honestly, folks, God's wrath is motivated by one thing. Love for His creation, for His creatures, for you. It's measured, it's proportional, it is often restrained. And ultimately, the gospel tells us that the wrath of God is absorbed, drunk from a cup by his son Jesus for everybody who will believe and trust in him. That's the big meta-narrative that this book, our Bible, is all about. In context, God has every right to be angry because of how we have treated Him and how we've treated one another. God did not create a world filled with evil and chaos. He created a world in which uh, It needed to be subdued and brought under his 
uh, design, bring everything. So he plants a garden in the east of Eden. He didn't create the whole world of paradise. He planted a garden in the east of Eden, the land of Eden, and he created all the creatures that live there, and he created all the, the, the two people that he brought there and put there or created there. He put them there, and he said, Trust me. Multiply. Be fruitful. Fill the earth. In other words, spread beyond the borders of the garden and take my good news, my gospel, to the ends of the earth. Bring my glory, my image. Well, what is the image of God? It's us. You don't see God. He's invisible. The only time we've ever seen the perfect image of God was in His Son, Jesus. But every day we see one another, and that's where you see the image of God. And so he tells this couple, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And trust me, I've given you the tree of life. I've given you all of this. Just don't eat from that tree over there, this tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't do that because that will kill you. Trust me. Believe me. Trust me. You know the story. I love what Derek Kidner says. I've shared this with you a few times. Listen carefully. This should shake you. If it doesn't, I understand. But think about what is being said in these words. Because these, he, Kidner lifts these right out of Scripture. Here's what he says. She saw the tree of good and evil. Eve. She saw. She took. She ate she gave to her husband. So simple, the act. So hard, it's undoing. So simple, the act. So hard, it's undoing. God in the person of His Son, Jesus. Listen, this is profound. God in the person of His Son, Jesus, will taste poverty and death. Before the words, take and eat, become words of salvation. Do you hear what is being said? Do you hear the grand narrative of God? She took, she looked, she took, she ate, she gave. In fact, in Hebrew, it's in the emphatic. She, she, it's shouting. And he took. They covered themselves. They sowed fig leaves. They did this. If you read it in the text, it's screaming at us. Look what they did. And unless we think it's just about them, I just ask you folks, look into your hearts. If you're a Christian, you know what's down in there. In fact, you don't know all that's down in there because God will not let you see it all. You'd go mad if you knew what was really down there. But every so often he pulls the curtain back a little bit and lets you see something just enough so that you'll turn to him, repent, and believe the gospel and trust him. And this happens every day. It's what we call the gospel renewal cycle. Every day you're going to be confronted with your sin and every day you're going to have to turn to him like me multiple times a day. Repent and believe what Jesus did. Trust me, I go back to the tree of life and you want to know what the tree of life is? It's a cross. And here he is, calling out to people and saying, I, I hate what you've done. 
but I'll restrain, I'll hold back my wrath, but nevertheless, I am going to condemn it. I have a right, I created this world, and I have a right to condemn it. But he doesn't condemn it in the way that we would. He restrains, he's proportional, he's infinitely gracious. There's a triple judgment here. If you hadn't noticed it, I want you to see it now. Look at verses 24, 26, and 28. God says, uh, or the, the text says three times, so God abandoned. In the New, New Living Translation, it uses the word abandon, which is a good word. It's easy to understand. But really what the word means is he handed them over or he gave them over. It's not just passive. He's not just, well, he abandoned them, although that is what abandonment is. It's just kind of stepping back. But he actually gave them what they wanted. See, Adam and Eve wanted the tree. They wanted the knowledge of good and evil. God had only wanted them to have the knowledge of good. But no! We want the knowledge of good and evil. So they took it. And in so doing, they completely... Dis- they, they, I can't even find words to say what they did. They disfigured. Dis- they, they didn't destroy ultimately, but they disfigured and distorted the image of God in themselves to the extent it was unrecognizable. And instead of blowing up and just killing everybody and everything within sight, he says, where are you? The most gracious words in your Bible, where are you? He asks you that today, where are you? Because we wander, folks, our heart is prone to wander. God abandoned them, verse 24 Verse 26, that's why God abandoned them, handed them over to shameful desires. That's what, why God handed them over to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and, and shameful things with each other's bodies. Look at verse 28. Since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, He gave them over. He handed them over to foolish thinking And let them do things that should never be done. You know, St. Augustine, I don't know, I just came across this while I was studying it. St. Augustine was brilliant. St. Augustine said this, the punishment for sin is sin. The punishment for sin is sin. Now that's profound. See, God didn't have to spin up something new to drop onto man. No, no. All he had to do was give us what we want. And yet so many people in our culture today, you know, something evil in in the world, and people will say, ah, it's okay. You you shouldn't feel bad about doing that because... You've got to be true to yourself. You've got to love yourself. You've got to find your own truth, your own identity. You've got, to, you've got to be true to yourself. And so, fill in the blank. And we wonder, we wonder why Kim Kardashian's not happy. Why Kanye can't get enough attention. 
why she's dating the ugliest human being on the face of the earth. I mean, have you seen Pete Davidson? I don't care. This guy is ugly. No talent, no nothing. He's just crude and ugly. So she trades in her great and wonderful husband. That was funny. <laughs> These people, look, you can re our culture is just, it's screaming at us. Look, you can't be happy until you are in line with God's word, with his life, with what he says to us. Trust me, for goodness sakes, I made you. I know what will satisfy you. What will satisfy you is me. And then everything else will fall out accordingly. But in the garden, a catastrophe. Human beings fell into sin. And ever since we have been enslaved to sin. So let's talk about the image of God and gender. Uh... Here's what God said. This is all he said, by the way, about mankind. Nothing else. This is all he said. Hear his words. He created. He's the creator. He's God. We're not. Just listen. Let us make man in our image to be like us. They will reign over the birds and sky and livestock and wild animals, small animals. So God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, govern it, and reign over the fish and birds, and so on and so forth. Now, folks, this is all God ever said about you and I in the beginning, how he created us. Listen, God said only one thing about humanity that they were made in his image, male and female. These are not two things. This is one thing. He made them in his image, male and female. Not, please hear me, not tall, not short, not fat, not thin, not black, not white, not brown, not blonde, not brunette, not a redhead, not a European, not an Asian, not an African, not a Middle Eastern, not a Republican, not a Democrat, not straight, not gay, not trans, but male and female. The Imago Dei. That's how he made us. Is that the way it is now? No. Why? Because of sin. Sin distorted that image. And he has not, and it is not just distorted in our same-sex attracted brothers and sisters in this world. If you think that, you haven't looked inside your own heart. It's distorted. Heterosexuality is distorted. You know how much time people spend on the internet looking at porn? Do you know what the goal of porn is? I can't say it, but the word starts with an M. That's the only, that's the only thing porn serves, is to stimulate you so that you can do this thing. Be honest. Admit it. There's nothing redemptive in these things. So heterosexuality is distorted. And so is every other kind of sexuality. So is every kind of 
appetite that we have. We can't get enough. We, can't, we, we don't drink right. We don't eat right. We don't exercise. We don't do anything right because of the effects of sin in our world. And instead of having compassion, God help us, having compassion on one another, we want to take our favorite sin, whatever it is, I'm not saying the homosexuality per se, but just pick your favorite sin, and spin it up into the top of the cone of certainty and ignore all of your own. But Paul doesn't let that happen. Gender, somehow, I don't have any way to explain this, folks, and whether you like it or not, this is the way it is, but gender is somehow mysteriously at the core the foundational expression of the image of God, our gender, male and female. It should come as no surprise. It shouldn't come as no surprise that that's the first thing, as Gary reminded me this morning, the first thing that mankind, men and women, both raised their fists and said to God, no. We'll show you. We're going to start having sex with each other. And that's all it was about, sex. It wasn't about glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. And folks, that is true to this day with all of us, with everything, whether you're, whether you're hetero, homosexual, whatever it is. These appetites are out of control. And they always have been. This is not a new phenomenon. They are part of the culture wars, which uh, Dawson and I will... We'll address probably next week. We're, we're still working on this, but we want to address the culture wars that we see around us today with respect to gender and all of the rest. You see, this, it should come as no surprise. This is the first thing the Apostle Paul said. Look what humankind did to the image of God, the very foundational thing, male and female, gender. Here's what they did. No. And they served themselves. And what? And this is maybe, if, I don't know, maybe you won't like this, but I'm going to, I have to be true to the scriptures. Not only what, male and female, but why they were male and female. And the why is right there in the text, so that you can be fruitful and multiply and plenish or fill the earth. And what this means is male and female are able to have sex and have uh, babies. Say, so is that the only reason for sex? Oh, no. No, there's lots of reasons. But that is one, the first one that God said. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the ability to copulate. In other words, you're going to fit together. And through that, you will be able to create more images of me, you. Our bodies, our souls, our spirits, our being. We were to go and spread throughout the earth and take God's word to the earth. So, of course, the first thing. Now, let me, let me I'm going to just read this to you. This is something I wrote. I'm going to be careful because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but... 
And one of my, one of my uh, Dawson and I, his colleague, told us, when you start talking about these things, you need to preface it with this. Listen. Please don't hear me say what I'm not saying. Can everybody say we won't? We won't. Please don't hear me say what I'm not saying. Homosexuality is an easy target in the culture wars, especially in the evangelical churches, for those who experience same-sex attraction and are often singled out as if that is the particularly worst sin known to mankind. It certainly is not. It's part, listen, it's part of a cascade, a constellation of ruinous distortions of God's image and purpose in and for humanity. However, same-sex attraction conveniently serves only to distract us from the bigger picture and the point of Paul's argument for all human beings are under judgment for sin. I'm not saying that homosexuality is okay. I'm certainly not. It's not what God intended for humanity. Same-sex attraction is a consequence of humanity's rejection of God's created purpose. So, here I'm going to stop. I'm not going to read that. I'm just going to talk from my heart. Paul isn't, Paul's not addressing, you see, we want to use this text as a proof text and say, see there, homosexuality is a sin. And that's not what the point is. The point is that human beings have fallen and it's because we have distorted God's image in these multiple ways, including homosexuality, but also in all this catalog, this cascade of, of evil that we've done to each other that includes everybody. It's that that's the context. But it's great because we can lift that one out and we can take aim at it and make it a target and it'll distract us. Well, at least I'm not doing that sin. At least I'm not that way. At least I'm not this. At least I'm not that. But then you don't read verses 28 and 29 and 30 and 31. What are you doing? What are you doing? Folks, we've lost our ever-loving minds. So, if there's anybody watching on YouTube or anybody here, you've, you've experienced same-sex attraction or you live in it or you're living it or whatever it is, how, what, do you think that, that the answer is that you're going to be cured and all of a sudden become a heterosexual? That isn't going to happen. Any more than all of the rest of us in this room are ever going to be cured of our greed and our gossip and our backstabbing and all the rest of that catalog of things. We are going to have to face who we are. And it's not the way God made us, but that's who we are. And we're going to have to face that with one thing. A man on a cross, unmarried, celibate, single, not even white, not even Anglo. He's a Jew, for goodness sakes. They go, what worse race could he pick? We've hated Jews all our lives, all the history of the world. And so what does he do? Comes like that. 
Not to fix us, not to cure us, but to save us, to bring us to him. Let the cure. God is the one who can cure and fix and heal and, and do all that. All he's asking you and me, and if you're, whether you're homosexual, whether you're trans, whether you're whatever you are, whatever letter of the alphabet, all he's asking is for you to come to him and give your life to him and then let him work out all that other stuff. That's what he did with me, folks. If you had seen me when I was 18 years old and a drunk, and a, I won't even go into all that. If you had seen me, then you would not even recognize me. I was not the glorious being you see before you today. One of my dear friends who used to come here, Ivan Enriquez, they found him dead in his apartment two weeks ago. He could have told you because everything I did was with him. And I pray that God has mercy on his soul. But all you got to do is get a little bit old, get a few miles on your life. And if you're humble and you really are honest with yourself, you know, God didn't have to forgive any of my sins. What do you think? He's in the forgiveness business? That that's his job? That if you do the right thing, well, I'm really a nice person and I'm really good and I'm this and I'm that. You cannot trade with God. You don't have the right currency. I've told you this for all my ministry here. You don't have the right money and you don't have enough of it. How are you going to pay your way out? Not by doing good. By giving yourself to the one who did good. To the one being who said no to all of the evil that is out there and said yes to all of us who perpetrate that, who destroyed his world and have corrupted his. And imagine somebody breaking into your house and just for fun, taking your children and doing unspeakable things to them right in front of your eyes and saying, eh, nobody's going to touch me. Imagine we forget Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness. So, Imago Dei, the image of God engendered, but look at this, the image of God in the heart of humanity. Yes, it touches gender, but look at what else it touches. Greed. Hate. And I know every one of you in this room has felt deep hatred in these past few years for somebody. We all have. Greed, envy, murder, quarreling, deception. Dear God. Malicious behavior, gossip, backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, it goes on. A catalog, a cascade that touches everybody. They know God's justice. See, we know We know that those who do those things should be punished. But we say, no, suppress and exchange. I will be true to myself. I'll do whatever feels good to me. I'll be who I want to be. You're just repeating the words of Adam and Eve. And we wonder, why? Why is the world like this? I can't imagine. Why, God, he's so evil. Why did he make the world like this? God's never touched you. Never. He'd given you what you wanted. 
And then he gives you what you don't ever deserve. (laughs) That's the gospel, folks. He gives you what you don't deserve. Purely grace. He just hands it to you. Listen, I'm going to say this and we'll close. Happiness, joy, life, love, peace, contentment lies only in direct proportion to your devotion to God. You want to have more happiness? You go to Christ and He will fill your life with happiness. He will take care of things that you can't imagine. But it will take a lifetime. It's not going to be, gra- it's not going to be instant gratification like uh, being in the back of a car, being in the back of a uh, 66 Ford Mustang, a Shelby Mustang, with a pretty girl and she's taking her clothes off. My wife's out of town, that's why I can talk like that. (laughs) To God, she's not watching. A flash in the pan, a moment. And then you're just as lonely. (laughs) You need another drink because it didn't do what it promised. But folks, I want you to think about the only being in this whole universe who did exactly what he promised. In the garden, they came to arrest Jesus. And Peter pulls a sword and he chops off the ear of one of the soldiers, Malchus. And Jesus said to him, put up your sword, put it away. Shouldn't I drink Isn't it right that I drink the cup the Father has prepared for me? The only being in this world that will never, ever betray you, will never, ever let you be discontent, who will fulfill every dream you have if you will just trust him, not for a moment, but for your whole life. You'll just do that. He will drink the cup for you. Will you trust him? I hope you will. Father, um, we stand in awe of you. There's truly no one like you in heaven above or in the earth beneath who loved us so well, and yet it just grates on us that we can't have our own way. We're like little children. I pray, Father, that you will help us all face the sins that so easily beset us. Turn our hearts to you, O God, and to others who struggle and are fighting battles we don't even have any idea. But if we'd look in our heart, we would see that we're all fighting the same war. And I pray, Lord Jesus, fill us with your Spirit that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. Amen.